because Left Shark from the Super Bowl was the Jaws 19 mascot, and it all came together. In honor of Hot Tub Time Machine 2, what movie's futuristic prediction do you hope comes true? I'm Katie Rich, and the transporter from Star Trek is the closest technology version I can think of for what I really want, which is teleportation. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I wish that modern-day Furbies were more like Teddy from AI, which I would keep as a companion, even as a 30-year-old man. Because <laughs> you love toys. Uh, well, I just because he has, like, you, he has, like, an old man voice. You love so, toys. Like, Your apartment is full of Time toys. to podcast again, David. Uh, <laughs> I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Inception's Dream Machines, because I feel like I could have a lot more fun than Cobb did, and I'm basically <laughs> imagining Paprika, but I'll go with Inception Dream Machine. <laughs> And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with the uh, flying advertising blimps showing the Geisha ad in Blade Runner, because uh, advertising is inescapable, so it may well be on a giant blimp showing fun Japanese ads. Why not? I'm glad you're giving up on humanity so early. Yeah. It might as well be on a blimp, says David Ehrlich. <laughs> That's a, that applies to most things in David's life. It's true. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 59 for Wednesday, February 18th, 2015. Appropriately enough, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown, still waiting on my hoverboard. Uh, Before we get into the show, David, we have a review, right? We do indeed, and what a review. Uh, Thank you to WildBill07, who gives us two stars and says, Do they actually like watching movies? (laughs) Super negative and whiny. Thought Bubble is solid, but sometimes lacks direction. So while Fuck Bill you, Dave. Seven got in digs at two Dave Gonzalez podcasts. Wow. Um, that's impressive with uh, so few words. How dare uh, you tarnish my seven, good thank sir. You, thank you for listening to the show, Wild Bill 07. And uh, maybe this week we'll talk about some movies we like, but probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we I think we will, actually. That's, Up that's until promising. segment three this week, we have a possibly very positive show. It could be yeah, very positive. And I feel like we've talked about movies we've liked in the past. I, you know, I'd have to go through the archives, but I'm sure it's <laughs> well, see the Somewhere in the 100-plus episodes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that episode show, where we talk about the movies that made us love movies. I don't know. Maybe. You know what? You know, uh, no. that, that would be good. Or I would say, Wild Bill, go back and check out our Godzilla review, which we nailed and everyone yeah. else got historically wrong. <laughs> so you go check that. Godzilla was on TV the other day, and I was just sitting there watching it, thinking about how much we fucking nailed it. So, thinking about so, how you're on the right side of history. I am. We are Again. a bunch of passive-aggressive assholes. I love this. Uh, so this past weekend, um, Saturday Night Live celebrated its 40th birthday, which I don't think it was like on the day proper. Because no, it actually, no, it's, it's, it's in, in like October. October. Yeah, it started when normal television shows start, but it happened to be in February because I don't know. Is that sweeps logic? I don't know enough about I TV programming. It's when they, like when they could get free. Jack Nicholson to show up, <laughs> right, like the exactly. Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, it falls in between gaps of sports seasons when ah. Sunday night programming is needed. And and that was a good move because it was a ratings bonanza from what I can tell. Everyone seemed to be watching 
three and a half hours of Saturday Night Live uh, tributing, masturbating, whatever, self-love, uh, self-aggrandizing. It, it, it was kind of wonderful, and it was also my nightmare. I'm a pretty big Saturday Night Live fan. You know, I've read Live from New York. I've probably seen most episodes, not from the 80s, but uh, who has? Um, but yeah, I, I consider myself a pretty big SNL fan, and I want to turn this over pretty quickly to you guys, because I'm curious, like... You know, 40 years of television. That's a hell of a lot. 40 years of comedy. Stuff written within like a week's time. Never to be. 10 hours of comedy. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) And and some decent music performances, too, I might add. I I also owned that like five CD set back during the 20th anniversary show. um, That was like, you got the Sinead O'Connor ripping up the Pope number. Oh, such a good good CD set. But anyway, (laughs) I want to know what SNL to you guys, I don't know where you stand on the fan spectrum here, but what, what is the legacy? of this show, uh, maybe in a macro sense, maybe in a micro sense, like what is the greatest thing that it seems to have resulted in uh, helping comedy or giving us a person or helping the movies or helping television in a different way? I'm curious what, when you think about Saturday Night Live, it really stands out as, as its major impact. I don't know. Katie, I'm going to start with you. What what, oh. what comes to mind? Yeah, I'm just throwing it out to you directly. Sure. Well, I actually just finished reading Live from New York for the first time, so I I know more but about the SNL updated now version. than the, the updated version. Exactly. Yeah, there's a new for people who don't know. There's an updated version of this oral history Live from New York with new chapters from the cast members who don't really matter, like Taryn Killam. Well, it also talks a lot about this. 2008 and Sarah Palin and all that stuff. Okay, so it's fair. Actually- That's more important. That's more important. <laughs> I was actually thinking more about what its continued legacy is because it's not just the show that was like really important for a time. It's still on, which is kind of an insane thing to think about given how much television has changed since it first began. But I think it still works as like an arbiter for like, here's what culture is. If Saturday Night Live does it, it still has this position where it's like, oh, well, SNL did it, so it must matter. Or SNL did it, so it's more offensive than if someone else did it. I mean, all the stuff about it not having a black female cast member last year, like people still take it really seriously in that way and see it in as in some way like a microcosm of television or of comedy or of like what we care about. And I think that's fascinating that anything like that still exists, but especially that it's in the format of this kind of like outdated, weird, only intermittently funny live television show. It is very anachronistic in that way. Yeah, but I'm I'm what I like about it is sort of that that sort of thing even exists and it is only because of like SNL, like we don't have a comedy Oscars like we were calling for like a few weeks ago. What we have to sort of like tap into the comedy scene is SNL. And then like now it's, you know, sort of populated by the internet because we've finally found the attention span that's perfect for short form comedy. But up until now, like having a live show, like a heartbeat on television every Saturday where you get to see some really talented performers that get ported into movies, uh, especially in like the 90s and onward um, is like a really important uh, direct way for comedians to like actually make a career for themselves that isn't the you know traditional way before that which was do stand up until you're so big they give you a tv series you know it was a nice way to sort of have these performance-based comedians and good writers and good stand-up comedians all come together and still put together something live and the format kept it because it was live and because it was sort of written and produced in a week uh the audience has always been really up for expectation and entire seasons and uh cast members that haven't been excellent will you know stick around and either grow on you or they won't and just having that sort of uh constantly watched uh 
place for comedy to sort of publicly evolve has always been, I think, the thing that Saturday Night Live will be remembered for. That's interesting. I wonder if it's continue. Does it feel like it's continuing to evolve? I guess it does. I mean, it's not the same <laughs> show that it was. I thought. I thought during the 40th anniversary show, they you know they showed a title card. I think. I guess it was during the in memoriam for Michael O'Donoghue, who started, who was the head writer when the show started in 1975, um, who came from the National Lampoon magazine, and he's such an angry, angry man. You know, there was no one like him, and so were those guys. It was really about pushing. Back and the show is certainly not like that now. You know, I can't imagine someone as angry as Michael O'Donoghue running the show today. Uh, uh, no, no offense to Colin Jost, who is apparently my doppelganger, but um, <laughs> he he is not an angry man, and the show does not really have a bite to it, despite having an abundance of like political commentary at this point. Almost every sketch these days on SNL is is pegged to something that happened during the week, as opposed to back in 1975 when, yeah, there were political sketches and, yeah, there was satire and commentary, but it was also, you know, like crazy samurai men and just, like, really offbeat weird stuff. Um, Is it really that political now? Like, most sketches are pegged to something recent? I mean, almost every cold open... It's topical, not political. Okay. It's always reflecting on... It's political and, like, Obama shows up in the cold open almost every episode at this point. It's political in the way that maybe everything is political, but I think that it's so toothless that it's really hard for it to feel genuinely political. It feels more just like a reflection of what's happening in the world or an acknowledgement of what's happening in the world, because um, I think anything more than that is too flattering. Right. Uh, I, I watch SNL all the time. I find it very comforting, um, but I also uh, have an inability to sort of look away from whatever people are talking about. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> But... Uh, I I was amu- I you know I was impressed by the scope of what they did last night, um, but I you know my big takeaway from the night was like no pressure next episode of SNL <laughs> because uh, you know it's it's they're honoring forty years of white male stand up comedians and whatnot doing things and um, which they made jokes about during the show and did not land like no it's no, a problem the Jerry everyone Seinfeld joke yeah. which is about Seinfeld and not SNL oh, was Ellen Clegg bizarre. Lord. Um, but, um, you know, that was just a, a snipe in it at that particular element of it, but they're, they're celebrating 40 years of the show and it's, it's so mediocre on such a regular basis that I, you know, it's, it's like good thing they don't have an episode immediately next week. I think America needs some time to readjust their expectations. <laughs> um, but I, I was very amused by it. The land shark moment, which is almost off camera, when the land shark comes on and eats Tina Fey, it was by far my favorite part. Apparently, that was <laughs> Bobby Moynihan playing the land shark. By the way, I, I that's fascinating. <laughs> and uh, um, and the repeated jokes about John Lovitz being dead, I also thought were hilarious. That was wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I feel wonderfully unqualified to say anything about SNL. I find it like comfort food. Um, it just means that like people are still alive and out there and doing things, which late on a Saturday night in the dead of winter uh, is not nothing. I mean, I, mean, well, I, I find it almost am, impossible to watch a full live episode. Like, I, it's impossible. It's, I no man has I ever done it. I don't ever do it. Which is sad because it used to be like I watched a lot of SNL on Comedy Central in an hour-long condensed form. Um, but you were still watching whole episodes where it was like the five best sketches and two musical numbers. And the musical numbers were great. They were worth watching. Uh, and so was the comedy surrounding it. It's sad to think that you couldn't watch the By the time the, the musical guest gets out there for a second song, I am so far gone. 
It's uh, sorry, <laughs> it's, it's welcome. I mean, David David goes hard in the 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 pills and the booze. Yes, No, I recognize the that it has a lore that people are very connected to, um, like the mythology of it. There are these books that you know you've read and and um, that they feel the need to update, and there's the, the sort of mythology behind it. Um, I, I'm so out of touch with the comedy world i just i don't feel qualified to talk but about you're it, not but because is. a lot of the comedy you watch on the big screen is influenced by uh snl yeah. too like i don't really see judd apatow being someone who exists without saturday night live planting right. a flag and in certain places or like will ferrell movies are not a thing unless you have adam mckay course, and will ferrell making crazy and movies at snl that speaks to the the volume and quality of the the people who you know, some of whom had nothing to do with Saturday Night Live, like Steven Spielberg, who were the audience there last night. I mean, he did the Laser Cats cameo, whatever, but you know what I mean? Um, well, he loves SNL. I'll, he, you know, he put Belushi in 1941. Yeah. He loves those. Uh, obviously, SNL. I mean, there's no, I'm, I'm not uh, by any stretch of the imagination denying its import and the landscape. Um, I just feel sort of on the outside of it. Uh, it was these. It has always felt strangely self-congratulatory. I'm still irked by, like, the goodbye to... Kristen Wiig and like making such a spectacle of it's a television show. It felt so pandering. I don't know. Like I just go out but there. Yeah, but it's like your kids putting on a show. It. It's you know, it's like, like when you have a dinner party and all the kids do a show. It's exactly yeah, the same make, thing. Yeah, but you know, they're rich and famous. Yeah, I, I something about the show has always rubbed me the wrong way. But um, I admire it. I watched all three and a half hours last night and uh, love the land shark. So this weekend is the release of um, a sports drama that I don't know if this is on many people's radar or not. It's called McFarland USA. It's directed by Nikki Caro, who directed Whale Rider. I think this is her first film. Uh, she no, may have done no, a film she, between Whale she Rider. She did and, uh, uh, North but, uh, Country. Oh yes, Charlize oh, Theron. Um, did not see that film. Gonna put that on my Netflix queue right now. Anyway, Nikki Carr directed this Disney movie that seems like a very, very Disney movie. David can fill us in because uh, he has seen it and seems to have enjoyed it. I don't know if there's an embargo, but uh, no, there isn't. This is this uh, is what about a uh, '80s cross country team, Mexican Americans, Kevin Costner, yada yada it's, inspiration. It's about, I mean, more or less, it's about a guy named. Uh, but it's one of those movies that that really likes to um, celebrate a white man and his family in this case their last name is actually white which makes sense wow. Wow. <laughs> um, who re- uh, like recognize the basic humanity and decency in uh, people of another race and you know think that they should be uh, recognized for that uh, for their accomplishment now, obviously sports is the vehicle by which they do that he finds he goes to one of the poorest towns in america after he's fired from his job and he uh, it's a high school that is literally right next door to a prison which is uh, you know, very convenient, as one of the teachers says. Um, and he starts one of the country's most successful cross-country teams with the local kids. It's an, it's a very, uh, as most of these stories are, it's an incredible story. Um, when they inevitably cut to the real people at the end, <laughs> no. it's very moving. Oh, um, the poster has a hands-in on it, yeah, so that's, that's uh, the movie. But it, the movie is so... The white, the white story, literally, right. that uh, 
it it does make you. But you were moved. You were you were weeping. No, I mean that's what's dangerous about the movie is that uh, against your better judgment, you <laughs> find yourself completely suckered into what's happening and, and very moved by it. And then only afterwards are you just sort of like, right? Mm, that has okay. an interesting aftertaste. So this is the perfect lead into my very quick mini segment question to all of you, which is: so these inspirational, motivational sports movies, or perhaps any movie that seems to be designed to motivate, to inspire you, like a poster. Um, do the do any movies come to mind that have actually inspired or motivated you? I'm curious what you think. Dave, what do you think? A cool Runnings. Uh, because I was young enough when it came out in, what, 93? That it, it didn't seem weird to me that this story didn't include anybody talking about racism in the Jamaican bobsled team. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to get you know, mad at John, John Candy for exploiting Jamaicans when he just really wants to run like his dad. Is he exploiting them? He's finding the disenfranchised. He's enabling them. I, I mean, I've seen many people take Cool Runnings to task for, for kind of racist tones in the, in the years past. But it doesn't seem that egregious. I mean, uh, in comparison to the real story, I imagine it's, you know, as inspirational as it can be. But considering that there is a real story there and this isn't like something made up to inspire, it's interesting to see how it was transformed into an inspirational movie that's mostly just about like, be yourself and do anything you want to do. Don't let people tell you you can't when it's like, well, this <laughs> is about a whole bunch of black guys yeah. playing a snow sport. Well, that's key, right? To be fair, it's the guys on the team motivating themselves. It's the two guys on the team doing that mirror speech about, like, what do you see? You know, that's not John that's Candy true. doing that's it. That's, that's not white savior. That's white enabler, perhaps. But Yes. No, I mean, uh, the movie, I think, works pretty well for what it is. What I'm saying is that what it is probably overlooks the very real, complex, and more interesting issues of the first Jamaican bobsled team, but it, in, what, October 93, it's exactly what I wanted to see. It also had a great soundtrack. Well, and, yeah, and I was young enough to be still be like, you know, there weren't limitations to the sports I could play, so I was like, I can do anything I want! But, you know... I'm gonna be a bobsledder. Yeah, now I'm old and, like, yeah, there's certain things the body doesn't want to do anymore. David, what about you? That you... Anything uh, come to mind here? Oh, uh, Wow. Maybe the Mighty Ducks. It's got to be <laughs> uh, hockey. Yeah, I mean, as a hockey fanatic and as someone who used to play hockey and played hockey around the time the Mighty Ducks came out, um, that definitely struck a chord. As really the captain of the B team was sort of my perennial position. So, like, like I was in an environment where I felt like I was capable of doing anything. But if I took a slightly broader perspective, I obviously you, couldn't. Wait, you played hockey? Yeah, I played travel hockey. You are Mr. Until... Glass. How could you play hockey? I wasn't once upon I a time. Although you. I, I, uh, Mr. Glass. I know, I know. Um, but I, once upon a time in my younger and healthier days, uh, I was quite the hockey player until I showed up for tryouts one fall and everyone was suddenly enormous. And I wasn't. <laughs> um, but, uh, you put yeah, the peewee feel, in, in peewee hockey. I feel like these traditionally inspiring movies, uh, tend not to be inspiring i you tend to feel them they, they move some sort of emotion but they, i don't often walk away from them feeling uh like i can get up and go and do anything but i come from a pretty privileged position where i if i don't already feel that way there's probably something wrong um, <laughs> but uh, um i i don't know i tend to feel inspired by any movies that are just really good i just <laughs> that's uh, an entirely different thing entirely katie league of their own guys oh. yeah what's wrong with some good league of their own 
I don't know that it inspired me to do anything in particular, but its very existence makes me really happy. Inspired you to watch it. It's kind of like what David said. It's like a good movie that inspires me and it being good, and then also it's an inspiration. I don't really remember the end of League of Their Own. If it has like a, do they win the big game? I guess. Uh, Oh, I mean, well, I don't know. It's, it's a sister. It's a sisterly old. thing. It, uh, yeah, is exactly. The crux of it, and I don't want to spoil League of Their Own for you patches. But if you don't remember, you really mi- don't. you might have missed you might have missed the point of League of Their Own. But that's that's okay. Fair. I don't <laughs> think I've seen that movie since like TNT. Oh man, it is always a good Turn time to watch League of Their Own. It is. There's no bad time to watch. Right. Uh, Putting that on the Netflix queue, then. Uh, Do it. And, and for me, I, I I don't know if there's any real sports movie that comes to mind because I'm not a very sporty person, and most of the sports that I played in high school were not like cinematic i guess although they should make a water polo movie that would be a lot of fun uh but i'm gonna go wow uh, <laughs> that's the whitest thing that's ever been said on this podcast i played water polo and lacrosse i am the whitest person in the wow. world and that's why i had to leave i wasn't like that okay preppy. can i guess your can i guess your movie uh, you can but it's not a sports movie wild at heart no, no. Horse, I'm, horse diving wait. is no. A, that's a, a that's wild horse can't be broken. Wild horse can't be broken. Come on. That's I abandoned sports in high school after getting my head stuck in too many toilets for uh, music. So I'm going to go with Mr. Holland's Opus, which is a sports movie for music nerds. That is fair. So this past weekend on on Twitter, I I raised an eyebrow at this whole Brian Williams brouhaha, as I've been putting it to you guys off off podcast. Um, You know, Brian Williams told this story about riding in a helicopter in Iraq. You know, I'm I'm not doing this his lie a justice. It turned out to be a lie, his whole thing about riding in a helicopter. And now he's been ejected by uh, NBC for a few months. Well, s- suspended. Okay, suspended. For how many months? Do you know? Six, Six months. Six months. Not 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 a real punishment, I guess. He's going to uh, you know, go to his... a big punishment, given that they usually a- get slaps on the wrist for this sort of thing. Okay. Or, you know, not... Not that this sort of thing is all that common, but whenever there's any sort of infraction. And six months is a long enough period of time for them to, uh, you know, for him to sink out of the public's consciousness. Not that anyone... I guess. Uh, I don't, it do, that know, doesn't seem... Still watches nightly news. Yeah, but, but the way, uh, the, way the media the works is that there will be like a big ramp up to his return, right? There will be... Perhaps. Suddenly there will be trumpets despite him... Having cu- he's or making a comeback from something in the horrible. Meantime. Well, I, I yeah, I don't know if that's even a possibility. And many people have talked about it. Many people have called for Brian Williams to be fired over this infraction, over this lie, this white lie uh, that seems to be growing and growing as a stain on his career. Uh, his career as someone who reads the news and 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 tries to entertain people and suck them into these stories. And entertain is a weird word, I guess, when we're talking about a, a news broadcast quote unquote journalist or or uh, an anchor man, um, but that, that's what I consider him. I consider him an entertainer, and that's what he's always been. You know, he'll <laughs> he goes on Jimmy Fallon. He's I think he's hosted Saturday Night Live, um, and yes. he was apparently vying for the Tonight Show. Brian job. Williams hosted. Yes, Saturday Brian Night Williams Night. hosted Saturday Night Live. This man is an entertainer, um, and he's a meme factory, and he's a charmer, um, and, and this is his role in the news. He's really he needs to make us. He needs to help us. Uh, he, he makes us empathize with the news. He 
sells us the news. He doesn't simply report. I don't really consider him a journalist, even if he does some of that on the side. And uh, He is the managing editor of the Nightly News, or he was until he stepped down. I just don't really know how a, that big of a star could be that role, really, on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. Whatever the case, I, I am curious what you all think about this because David and I got into got into things with people on Twitter very briefly because I think we were smart enough to step out because people go crazy uh, when you start talking politics or anything remotely political on Twitter under 40 characters not being enough um, but I thought that since we are now a little distance from this whole kerfuffle that maybe we can uh, put Twitter insta reactions aside and talk about you know news as entertainment and like why is this the end of Brian Williams? Is this the end of, of broadcast journalism, which I didn't really think was a huge deal anyway, which many people seem to cling to? And um, is this a bad sign for I, journalism at all? Or is this I entertainment? See, is this totally this different? Has, I think this has nothing to do with journalism, let alone broadcast journalism. Um, you know, if you see... It's funny because, you know, one of my favorite films is Broadcast News and it was on TV the other night. Um, And it's remarkable how we are still dealing with the same stories. What's most remarkable about it is that in the case of Brian Williams, we're still dealing with it in the same format um, in a world that has moved away from it so much. And I don't really know anybody who, uh, at least not our age or close to it, who watches the nightly news and gets their news from that. They'd much sooner, if they're going to do it on television, get it from Jon Stewart. or the like, and most likely they'll be learning the news over uh, the internet when it breaks. But uh, this is not about the news at all. This is about people needing to be outraged and the false false idea of infallibility and the standards that people hold people in the public eye to, and it's ridiculous. And uh, it made me deeply uncomfortable and sort of incensed to see the reaction to this. If it does turn out that um, as people rake through the muck, that Brian Williams is a serial liar, uh, then so be it. His his trial is which which uh, hunt will hunt. I guess have been worth it. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be what happens. Even if he made up a body floating by his window in New Orleans when during Hurricane Katrina or whatever, um, I I just think you know the the meme the the uh, tagline whatever you want to call it that's been going around the last few days about how he was the first person punished for um, lying about the war in Iraq. Uh, obviously, it's a soundbite. It's very catchy and clever, but I think it's also spot on. Um, the outrage that people are funneling towards this, uh, it, it's just, its I'm beside myself with my own outrage when I, I just don't believe that people are actually mad about this. I just don't right. believe that people... But that's part um, of the entertainment, right? Like, this, this whole idea of news as entertainment almost extends out to the outrage machine. It's not, it's, it starts with typical news, Brian Williams news, and then it's suddenly like Twitter news becomes part of news as entertainment, which I find really interesting. Also, Brian Williams should probably get a job with Mark Bull at Mark Bull's production company. He can write Zero Dark Thirty Two or something. He, he could be, <laughs> he could merge journalism and fiction in some great films. Um, yeah. <laughs> bad well, idea. I, you know, I think... Uh, for, for personally, I don't have any problem if it is this isolated incident of him inflating his experience um, and uh, sort of sort of gushing gussing it up a little bit about being in this helicopter that was under mild machine gun fire and maybe not RPGs, whatever the case was. Who gives a fuck? I also totally, even if he is being disingenuous, totally give somebody the benefit of the doubt of having been in situations where um, you 
know the truth and then begin sort of rehearsing it in your memory one way as you begin to tell stories over the years. Right. And as he, as he deals with untold numbers of experiences of his own that we are not privy to, plus the ones that we see on air, his career at, at being such that is so varied, um, I, I think it's perfectly conceivable that a well-meaning man could get these things tripped up. Um, but I also, I also don't see him as like a truth teller. Like I don't hold him to that right. in some right. ways. Well, like, I almost well. think, do you hold anyone to that? Yes, I do. He, I, I do. People who are like reporters, I hold to that. And for some reason, Brian Williams is more of a Catherine Bigelow making Zero Dark Thirty than a, a straight-up reporter to me. And I, and well, maybe no that's yeah, not that's, that's, that, that's a strange position, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Like, like, Tell me why I'm news wrong. is not this where I go to for my truth. But like, I do think that if you're going to be the guy on there reading the news and saying it out loud, like you owe it to, I mean, if you know, at, because he didn't say any of this stuff on the air, this like wasn't part of his reporting. Like I'm not that bothered by it, but I do think if you're the guy who's reading the news on the air, like what you're saying needs to be true. And if it's not true, you but need to indicate it. But if it feels it. Like, true, even, like if it, if it's emotionally true, if there's a, is there emotional logic? No, that's not what, true. that's, yes, that's not what news is. I don't, I don't want ecstatic truth in my news. There needs to be some place but, for objective, course, actual truth not on when said, it's findable. There is. As on you the, said, on the this internet. wasn't in your news. <laughs> no, and, that's not on the uh, internet at all. The internet, like news on the internet is so filtered through like what you want, who you want to listen to, where you're getting it from. I mean, right. the nightly news, as antiquated as it is, is a very straightforward, nonpartisan, this is what the news in broadcast format that I like that it exists even if I don't watch it. And I think... The idea that that all truth can become the ecstatic truth is really dangerous. Well, I don't think that's the idea that's being put forward. Um, nor do I think that this one exaggeration from ten. No, years I ago, don't think that, that means in that. No but way at all affected a single news story uh, is is you know suggesting as much. No, I, I don't think that. But Patches is suggesting that kind of I mean, he wants he's okay with everything just being think, like some version of the truth. I think Patches is, is being yeah, a but also here. responding to. This one story. I mean, there is a network where all stories are uh, filtered through the ecstatic truth. Okay, SNL called... joke writer, whatever. Well, it's well so is, I mean, well, there's MSNBC too. There's there's several networks that do that. Fair enough. They are both very, very successful at what they do. And uh, people seem to be okay with that. I think that um, there is people, to, to sort of get into the psychology of it or the sort of pop psychology of it, the layman psychology, I think that people are so under the sway of things that are obviously mediated for them these days that they need these paragons of, of uh, infallible truth-telling out there in the world, sort of these uh, lightning rods, these, these bellwethers that they can have for um, knowing what's true and what's not. And, and I think that they look at somebody like Brian Williams, even though he is just, he wears a, he sits up a little straighter and wears a slightly better suit and says the same news that everybody else does, uh, but they look at him as fulfilling a role that, there really doesn't exist anymore in the media landscape. And they also, there's this desire to tear it down. I don't know. I just, I think it's all so strange and illusory, um, especially given the nature of the story, that I, I just had such, uh, I, I just thought all the out outrage was so disingenuous and so reflective of a larger problem. Um, and that problem was with the people who were trying to identify this one. Dave, what do you think about the nature of truth? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I could just say as the what, what is it, the political Dave that's supposed to come to this conversation? No, yeah, they're face know. talking to you bridges. from the television. They're not giving you the news. Like right. you need to disabuse yourself of that idea right right from the beginning. News organizations are people that go out and dedicate like their lives to gathering news and they've increasingly become 
things that had to get like outside funding for special types of reporting and then those articles just get like bought up by these other companies and then retranslated for everybody onto television but knowing that and having that opinion going into this i'm looking at this a lot more like when i talk to people who listen to serial and are mad at sarah caning for like making a story mm-hmm. out of a real mm-hmm. life trial and i'm like well you didn't you, like I was not expecting, I was expecting a certain degree of storytelling. This wasn't presented as like a news experience. This isn't Dan Rather telling me something to embarrass the president that ends up being completely false and like a result of actually bad reporting. This is just a situation where a story was told and it didn't have to be factual. And because it's coming from somebody in a setting where they think, or from a person that they think has to be completely truthful, now we get to hold them professionally accountable when I don't think that it was really like botting with that. So I'm sort of on David's side there. But I don't think, like, I don't want to go as far as Patches is saying, like, you shouldn't expect news from these TV places. I just think that it's, like, such an antiquated idea that everyone's going to turn on the TV and watch the same news broadcast that, like, there's a certain generation that I think is mostly our generation, but definitely everybody younger than us, that just acknowledges they're not getting news from television. If they are, they feel like they're gleaning it for themselves from context clues and, like, daily show comedies or Last Week Tonight, which, you know, in, in tries to engage them online for their own marketing that hopefully ends up in some sort of engagement and sometimes does. But it's like... It, I really feel this just boils down to people needing to feel morally superior to strangers and people that have made it into the public eye. Um, and well, that I was think- a point Patches wanted to bring up, too, with that John Ronson article that was in The Times. Yeah. Wait, can what? you talk about that, Katie? Do you, yeah. Weren't, didn't you reference yes, it? Yes, I did, but now I'm, I'm giving Are you, you, the, I'm giving you the floor. <laughs> so John Ronson apparently wrote an entire book about shaming and had an article excerpted in The New York Times about Justine Sacco, who tweeted yes. something stupid. Well, I read about- that article. That was not really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so she tweeted a dumb joke before she took a flight to South Africa about how she's white and therefore she can't get AIDS. And uh, some forgot picked up on it, and there was a great joke by the way, shaming. really great. Joke. We've uh, yeah, a terrible joke, <laughs> and uh, it completely ruined her life because the internet shame machine kind of jumped all over. Okay, her. Okay, but here's the thing: if if but I hang, hang, hang on, I wasn't okay. done talking. Um, anyway, like that, like that kind of systematic, like everyone jumps on somebody because they did something wrong. That happens on Twitter all the time. And I think you're exactly right that what's happening to Brian Williams couldn't exist. I mean, if that Dan Rather thing that you referenced where he kind of, he took falsified uh, documents from Bush's uh, National Guard Service, like if that happened in the era of Twitter, that would have ended completely differently. Oh, I mean, it would have ended the exact same. It just would have been over faster. I don't, I, I'm... The outrage machine... Didn't Dan Rather stay at CBS? No, he left. <laughs> yeah. They're making a movie oh, about right. it. Robert Redford uh, is starring in the true story of that. Of well, that story, and, wow. of the Dan and then he saga. also he also went on to like go do other like reporting elsewhere. But like uh. the Justine Sacco reading that article made me so upset, and I just I felt. Uh, Were you revolted. outraged? I was outraged. <laughs> I was revolted on behalf of uh, the entire social media landscape. Um, I you know. First of all, I struggle with the joke itself because I think that if Patton Oswalt tweeted that or something, I don't know why Patton Oswalt. I don't mean to throw him under the bus. Uh, it's just the first name that came to mind. But if somebody, if someone who it's you context. Knew. If somebody who yeah. you knew was being flippant about it, tweet someone who you knew uh, was was joking and, and obviously not under the. Presi- I mean, right? I, there'd be I automatic sarcasm marks there. 
Right. I don't right. know why I put I think, that. Uh, this this would have been retweeted in a much more positive way. Um, I think it's ludicrous to think that an educated person, which anyone who knew Justine Sacco, even on that night when he knew her employment status, could could uh, assume, uh, knows that, not to take her words literally, um, I think her Twitter history didn't help because it showed her as being sort of a... Uh, not the best person. <laughs> not the. Not always. Kind uh, of a dummy, if yeah, you will. Yes. So that that worked against her. But I think the um, you know there was obviously a glee, the vulture circling and, and ruining her life. Um, and I don't think people at the time realized the extent to which it ruined her life because it's not just her losing a job, which is uh, no small thing to begin with. It's also she's more or less a uh, a felon at this point. Not that she has committed a felony or seen in the eyes of the law that oh, way. As far as her, we as create far as felons higher, out of people that don't do anything. Outrage internet is the way the body's way of rejecting toxins and viruses like oh, we don't she, we don't like it because occasionally we pick the wrong thing outrage. but less often than the justice system uh, outra- outrage that. outrage internet is brian williams helicopter story yeah well yeah. I'm just saying, it's, it's what <laughs> struck me about that story was that she can't get a job but she couldn't get a and she was able to get a job eventually but she couldn't get a boyfriend because people are gonna google her and re- learn who she is and this one tweet and we fire off tweets all day long that we think about and I mean, uh, fortunately no one gives a shit so I can delete the more offensive ones but um, the whole outrage culture really connected strongly with this Brian Williams thing uh, and I felt I felt sorry for Justine Sacco as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel sorry for these people, but that doesn't mean that's not the system working exactly in the way that it's developed to, like, do this. Like, I I don't like the outrage internet, and I definitely believe there's a line between outrage and, like, outright harassment. Like, you could tweet as many civil things trying to start a conversation at somebody as you want, and they could, like, block you, and that could be the end of it. But, you know, like, doxing people and all the stupid Gamergate shit, completely different. But... The fact that people are, like, held responsible for the offhand stupid things they do online, that needs to be constantly reinforced to everyone that's spending lots of time online. And if occasionally we make, you know, some poor white person not be able to have a boyfriend for a while, like, we do worse things to more disenfranchised people all the time. We should be held responsible. I'm not dismissing that uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But, and and that should be stopped as well. But usually, uh, that's not the public as a whole gathering together um, and aggressively doing that. I mean, those are failures of uh, systemic nature that um, have to do with uh, the legal system in our country and racism in our country and institutional racism. I'm talking about people, the public, you and me, people thinking that they're, they're not doing anything wrong, gathering together and uh, not and doing anything wrong. Weak well, and no, and, and <laughs> no, just because the justice life. system is worse doesn't mean that Twitter shaming is still bad. Exactly. Oh, I mean, I'm not. Sorry, I said that weird, but you know. Well, yeah, no, I'm. But like, there's a dividing line. Like, she said something stupid. She faced the maximum amount of consequences for that. I don't see anything wrong in that. Really? You think it's okay for someone's life to be ruined by like, and, a dumb, just, utterly inconsequential tweet? For me, this all comes back to the same place. It comes back to Brian Williams because this is all entertainment this is all news as entertainment right we're like propelling the theater of reality through twitter like we're gonna make this person a clown so we're all gonna make jokes and it's all going to pile up and if only someone you know had the awareness not to do it in the first place not to make this joke or to hold back you know to not to not uh like blow this incident up into theater and for brian williams himself 
to, like, why is a story about the helicopter coming out now? People have questioned it in the past, and it all of a sudden blew up, and he won't make an apology that actually, you know, s- cuts people off. The, to, to make this stop, he can't stop the own, his own outrage because he can't stop turning this story into theater. He can't stop being an entertainer. And so it all comes back to news as entertainment and, like, when at some point... You know, there was a tipping point, maybe, and this is not Edward R. Murrow, right? This is not broadcast news. He he was not a showman, uh, and at some point we tipped into a different spot, uh, and and when <laughs> reality became the stage, and I don't know, it, it's it's very odd that Brian Williams couldn't cut this off. Should he be punished? Yes. Yeah, someone uh, on Twitter. You know, when I was wondering aloud, like, why people are going crazy for this, said it all comes down to stolen valor. Like, there are pissed off people who are in Iraq or overseas who are in the military. And this person was absolutely right, claiming that Brian Williams is undermining the heroic actions of people who are really out there doing things. And there should be... Well, I think you were closer I, when you said that. No, but that because there whoever... is, there should be punishment here. I mean, he he, as Katie has stated, he he made a lie in a in a newsman position. There should be, there should be action here, but there shouldn't be the action that we're, you know, he she shouldn't suffer the maximum punishment as Dave is saying about acknowledging it is punishment enough for as far as I'm concerned. Him but saying, why now? Like, him, why not earlier? Why not right away? Why not cut himself off and stop? If, if you believe being an entertainer. Story, if you believe a story, and, and I, I find routinely in when we have conversations about uh, the forgiveness of people we don't know, tend to err on the side of, of granting them that forgiveness, um, mostly because I think I would, I would hope for the same thing if I were in their shoes. Um, but I think that if you were to believe a story, that there really wasn't anything to apologize for because he wasn't aware that he was doing it, that he was, uh, you know, inflating the story, adjusting his position, his perspective as to which helicopter he was in or the nature of the fire was, and he sort of began to believe the truth. And I think that a lot of the memories that you probably hold near and dear to your heart are probably somehow tweaked or fabricated from the reality of what actually happened. And they you are never going to be put on a national public <laughs> trial for those things. When you talk about which girl you kissed in high school, nobody gives a shit. Well, like, you know, yes, they do. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think for him it's very different. And I tend to be lenient. I think that if he copping to this and broadening the conversation and saying, you know, this is something that all humans are susceptible to, that we're all fallible, and I am just going to redouble my pledge because this job, unlike being the anchor on a show on 2 a.m. Uh, on Fox News, this job is seen in higher regard in American culture. And I am um, redoubling my dedication and my allegiance, my, my pledge to um, the viewers out there that I'm going to do this job as best it's I It's really John can. Stewart's fault and for making uh, news entertaining. <laughs> yeah, he I was mean, the first a- person to ever do that. I mean, there I mean prob- there's probably some sort of competition between Brian Williams' dry, boring news and Jon Stewart. Well, I'm sure there is, and just in a very basic, you know, they're out to make money thing. But I'm completely on David's side and wanting to grant him forgiveness. What I'm saying is that it's now completely in its court to, like, react to it. But he definitely should have gotten caught for it. And the outrage that we're seeing is just the same outrage anybody feels when they find a lie somewhere they were expecting to find the truth it's not so it is, much about the particular lie or when when it was told but like i think it was i don't forget whether it's david patch said earlier made the joke about the first person to be punished for a lie about the iraq war like that's the anger stuff and like that's still that's still around it's i, I think it's think more that it's, than lost valor i guess 
it's very unrealistic of me to uh, suspect this to ever happen, but I think that um, one of these days it would be nice for the company behind the person, uh, like NBC in this case, to say, you know what, who fucking cares? <laughs> to actually stick up for, for their guy. And right, because like, yeah, two weeks later, up. if they just didn't acknowledge it, it would all be over. Yeah. No right, exactly. The, uh, and, and there was, I don't know. Well, no, it's true. Gawker... Uh, You're overestimating the the outrage machine's ability to self-propel. Kanye West will storm yeah, the stage of the Oscars. No one who watches Brian Williams is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but they care of, about of people who are on Twitter because they want people on Twitter Maybe to watch right. it. There, there was an article that had many, many examples. It was very convincing. Uh, that essentially showed that if you, if you were in a position like this where you're under fire for some sort of non... Uh, lethal or terrible. You're not Chris Brown or Bill Cosby. Um, you know what I mean. You didn't, and you didn't murder anybody. Uh, if you ignore your social media problem, it will go away in a matter of time. <laughs> and I think that one of the NBC really uh, threw him under the bus. I feel. Although I understand they have a bigger brand to protect, and it's part of a system that is larger than you can fathom. But uh, um, one of these days, it would really be nice just to see somebody's employer stick up for them. <laughs> so here, here's the final question. Was it okay for Tom Grunnick to film himself crying in the end of broadcast news? No. Wow, well, that's, that's a big question. I'm with Holly Hunter. You're, you're team I mean, Holly Hunter on uh, that. Well, I mean, she's obviously oh, yeah. broken up about it. She'll never forgive him. But, I mean, did 100%. he do something wrong? Like making yes. it into theater, making it into great Absolutely. Viewing? Okay, interesting. Well, but, if he, but if he But he sold the story. To, it's an yeah, important to nope. amplify that story so that it connected with somebody who uh, was the victim of sex- of domestic violence right. or uh, was considering perpetrating domestic violence because they were able to. Their, no, their he did it to make lowered. himself. He didn't make uh, himself uh, look better. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's not the question, though. The question isn't why did he do it. The question is what no, effect was. And you got to You got to go. The, you got to If you're telling the <laughs> truth, if you're saying that you're telling the truth without any embellishment, you have to do it. Anyway, you have to, the, you have to do what you're saying you're doing. You go with Albert Brooks stuck in the middle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, negotiate these two things. Just phone That's in, phone in the facts, and be the sideman and never if, be if on camera. If you're out there listening to this and you haven't seen broadcast news, stop. Oh my god, stop listening to this and go watch it. You know? <laughs> I think it is on streaming. Definitely end on that note. <laughs> we we like movies, Wild Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next uh, later this week talking about something. It's a bad week for releases. <laughs> I refuse to see The Duff. Do you refuse, May you Whitman. refuse to see The Duff? I mean, I'm just not interested. Mae Whitman is in her late 20s and beautiful, and this movie just makes no, makes no sense. I keep thinking of Duff Man. You know, the the lead runner in McFarland, USA, who is supposed to be a high school senior, is almost 30 80. in real life oh. as well. Yeah, yeah this all sounds about right. He's 95 and he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be back. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And uh, hey, every week we put our episodes on our website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where you can comment, where you can share, where you can leave questions, do anything. FightingInTheWarRoom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor at large of Little White Lies. Uh, and we'll be announcing our new issues soon. I don't know if we will have by the time this goes up. Anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich at Criterion Corner and Time Out US Film. And you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. 
I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DS70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news and Star Wars at latino-review.com and megafranchising at forbes.com. I also do a podcast about comic books called The Thought Bubble that's on this very feed and also at Batman v Superman and to the night.com. We just finished answering a bunch of questions about the new Spider-Man deal and I'm winding up for our Secret Wars reading list which has crossed well <laughs> over 100 issues to understand. Oh so... If you guys want to have a fun comic book summer, tune in to The Thought Bubble. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I'm Katie Rich. I uh, am at VanityFair.com where nothing nearly that complicated is going on, I don't think. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-E-C-H. That's also a great place to find all of us at F-I-T-W-R where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Hot Tub Time Machine 2, what movie's futuristic prediction do you hope comes true? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you about something on Friday. <laughs>